We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. While the best place for me to be is sitting at Jesus' feet, we can't stay there all the time, can we? It's good to sit at His feet. We need to sit at His feet. We need to linger at His feet. But there's work to be done as well. God wants a relationship with us as individuals too. That He wants us to invest in our relationship with Him. The time required to bake all that stuff required time and effort. And and our relationship with God does require time and effort. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God is calling His people to be holy as He is holy. He has been laying out to Moses how the children of Israel were to conduct their worship to God. We have seen the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, each with their symbolisms and meanings. Now, God has been addressing the priestly duties for these sacrifices. We pick back up with Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 30 as we look at one final rule pertaining to how to dispose of the blood from the sin offerings. And here's one final rule. No sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle. This is all the other three kinds of sin offerings. No sin offering where any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile in the holy place. None of that shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire when you take it outside the camp. Remember when the congregation of the priests sinned, the blood had to be brought inside the holy place and smeared on the horns of the golden altar too. That, those offerings, the priests didn't eat anything. That meat would be taken outside the camp and completely burned. What's interesting about the sin offering here as it points to Jesus, it mentions that it is most holy unto the Lord. Crucifixion is a barbaric thing. It's kind of a weird thing when we wear a cross around our neck, isn't it? The equivalent today would be maybe like an injection needle or an electric chair. I mean, truthfully, it's a barbaric thing. You're putting someone to death. Even though crucifixion is a barbaric thing, Jesus' death was different, wasn't it? It was different, completely different. Because it was the sinless lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. That made it unlike any crucifixion in history. Look over at Matthew 27 with me. I love this portion of scripture. I don't think this ever happened when anyone else was crucified. Beginning in verse 51. This is after Jesus died. He gave up the ghost in verse 50. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. This was like no other crucifixion they had ever seen. Jesus's sin offering was indeed most holy unto the Lord. It also mentions here about the sin offering that their garments would have to be washed. In Revelation 7, you can look it up later, but when John sees a multitude there worshiping and praising God, 
one of the elders comes to him and says, hey, who's, who is this group? And I love John's response. He goes, you know. <laughs> you know, John gets asked the question frequently, hey, who's this? And John will say, you know, can you explain it to me? And then they'll explain it to him. And what he says is, these are they which have washed their garments in the blood of the lamb. When we come before God based solely on the basis of Christ's work, our garments are unspotted as well. But when we try to add our own righteousness, it destroys the picture completely. And then we see here that no sin offering was to be eaten if it was for the congregation. Jesus, only his once for all sacrifice can cleanse the sin of the world. Nothing I do as his servant can spring someone else free from that penalty. Chapter seven now, we move on to the fourth offering, the trespass offering and the instructions for Moses. Here we actually don't find much different. It says, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering shall they kill the trespass offering. And the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about the altar. And he shall offer of it all the fat thereof. And then he says which parts, the rump and the fat that covers the inwards. And the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks. And the call that is above the liver with the kidneys, it shall be taken away. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. As the sin offering, so is the trespass offering. There is one law or one rule for both of them. The priest that makes atonement therewith shall have it. You might be saying, didn't we cover this in chapter five already? Actually, we didn't. God's instructions to Moses there focused on the difference between a sin and a trespass. Remember, a sin was something you did by mistake, but a trespass was something You knew what you were doing and you did it anyway. So now the Lord tells Moses that the butchering of the animal is the same as a sin offering. What's interesting about that is it shows that while the offenses are different, how we make things right might be different, that a similar sacrifice is how we find forgiveness from God. There's one law for them, it says. While falling short and crossing a line are two different offenses to God, both are covered in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, amen? I hear a lot of time Christians will say, and I've probably heard me repeat this a ton of times already, Oh, I don't think God can forgive me for this. I knew what I was doing and I did it anyway. Praise God, Jesus died not just for our sins, but our trespasses too. Well, we get to verse eight and before he gets to the peace offerings, he gives some other special situations for all the other four offerings. He says in verse eight, and the priest that offers any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering, which he offered. So prior to this, we knew that the priest would take the skin and set it aside. Now we know what he gets to do with it. The skin would be from the wealthy person's burnt offering, and he would now be able to use it for clothing for him or his family. Verse nine, and all of the grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is dressed in the frying pan and in the pan shall be the priest that offers it. So here we find out that all those other special offerings that you could bring, different kinds of grain offerings, it mentions that all of those could be eaten by the priest. So God here is being very thorough, not leaving anything out. So the priest would go, well, can we eat that? It's not like you mentioned before in chapter six. And God is saying, yes, you can eat that too. And you know, I love that God is thorough because it shows that he wants us to succeed in following him, right? He doesn't want us to fail. And do you know that? That God wants you to succeed in your marriage. He wants you to succeed in your Christian testimony. He wants you to succeed in growing in him and overcoming sin. Do you know that? He wants you to experience the abundant life that he has for you of walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the desires of your flesh. Do you believe that? I think sometimes we feel like God's against us, that I'm not worthy, that God is frustrated with me or he's fed up with me. He is certainly not fed up with you at all. And when God revealed himself to Moses, what's the first thing he said? The Lord, the Lord, you know, Lord, the Lord God, gracious, merciful, and patient, right? He said he was patient, long-suffering, 
You might be wondering why we're getting all this extra info lumped together when we haven't had the peace offering yet. He goes down here in verse 10, and with every meat offering mingled with oil and dry shall all the sons of Aaron have one as much as another. So he just reminds them it's all for you guys. The reason we get all these special instructions before we get to the peace offering is because all the rest of these verses are about the peace offering. Because the peace offering was the priest's main source of providing food for his family. Therefore, it needed its own big section of instructions. So verse 11, we come to the peace offering here, and we have a lot of instructions for this, for the priest. So starting verse 11, it says, this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering or offerings, does it say here? Offerings, because we're going to find out there's actually many different kinds of peace offerings you can bring. He shall offer unto the Lord. So first off, the first type of offering that you could bring of a peace offering is one that would be, it says, if he offer it for a thanksgiving. The word here means praise. Because the peace offering existed for the purpose of spending time with God, the priest would need to determine why a person wanted to do so before proceeding. And so when you would come and say, I'm, I've come here with my peace offering to the Lord, he would say, well, why do you want to bring a peace offering today? And if you came and you said, I just want to praise the Lord for how awesome he is. Then, if that was his motive, this was the rules of how it was done. It says he would, with his offering, he would bring there, it says, he shall offer with a sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers or pancakes anointed with oil. Again, the oil was like a buttery type of thing. It was olive oil. And cakes mingled with oil of fine flour that had been fried. And beside the cakes he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. So here we find out that now when you would come and you would have this big feast, because remember the peace offerings, you would invite your family, you'd invite your friends to share it with you. In addition to the animal, you would have to bring all this other baked stuff. So there'd be a large quantity of food you would bring, which is again, why it was a feast. And this also wasn't BYOB. It was not bring your own bread. There was cost involved for you when you wanted to bring a peace offering because you'd have to provide for all the food for the feast. Lots of work would go involved to bake it all and then to lug it all down there. It was all done there, so it was a big deal. It also mentions here they could bring unleavened bread for the feast, bring leavened bread. No leavened bread could be taken to offer on the altar or brought into the tabernacle. But in the feast that occurred outside, no problem. You could bring the good stuff for that because it was for the feast. Verse 14, and of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for a heave offering unto the Lord, and it shall be the priest that sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. Of everything that was brought, he would bring a heave offering unto the Lord. The word heave offering means a contribution or a special gift. So part of the bread would be set apart from the feasting meal to give to the priest for him and his family to eat. So the priest then, he could either invite his family up. If he knew someone was, had come with a peace offering, he could invite his family to come and then they would be a part of the feast too. The heave offering would be for the priest. So they have a bunch of tables set up for everybody and then all, all your family and friends and then they have a table set up for the priest and his family and they would bring a special contribution for him and his family and they could eat there and then you would eat here and then God would eat the part that's on the barbecue and on the altar. And so they'd have this big celebration. Mentions here, they have to eat it all the same day that it's offered. You should not leave any of it until the morning. No meat left offers uh, because the animal had been offered to the Lord. The bread could be actually taken home and eaten another day, as we'll see later on here. That's if your motivation was praise. If you had another motivation, verse 16, there'd be different rules. Verse 16, but if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, then this is how it works. The two other motives then could be to make a commitment to God about something. I don't know what that would be. 
It could be a vow to say, no one's marrying my daughter till she's 35. I've taken that vow. I have not taken that vow. <laughs> so if you wanted to make a, a vow to the Lord, a fresh commitment to God about something other than the burnt offering or the grain offering type of promise to God, that would be that. And then voluntary offering here means just simply to hang out. Hey, why are you here? I just want to hang out with the Lord. He said, all right. There are a little bit different rules for that. These two, they have the same procedures except for the leftovers. I think that's interesting because our praise should be fresh to God every day, shouldn't it? The Bible says, let us sing a new song unto the Lord, right? Sometimes a new song doesn't simply just mean a different song, although it does mean that too, but it means a freshness as we sing, right? I like to really think about when we have our times of song singing, can I share a little pet peeve in my mind with you? I hate calling it worship because everything we do is worship. When you're fellowshipping with somebody out in the lobby, that's worship as well. So singing is just a part of our worship. It is worship, but it's part of our worship. You know, when we come for our song time, I really try to focus on what I'm saying. When I worship him, whether I've got my hands raised or not, I'm thinking about what I'm, what I'm saying. We sing something about surrender, and I think, Lord, okay, you know the situation's going on right now. This bill we got to pay or whatever, Lord, I trust you, and I'm surrendering that to you. Does that make sense? That's what makes our song singing time meaningful and heartfelt, and not just, oh, I know this song, and I like it, and we sing it. I think it's why, you know, when I sing, I love to sing loud, because I'm singing words that go to a song, but my heart is also expressing an area of trust, or an area of uh, thankfulness, or an area of surrender to our Savior. Our praise should be fresh every day. I think that's why they couldn't have any leftovers. But for these two offerings, they could. Verse 16 says, but if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers a sacrifice, and on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. So this type of feast could be multiple days. You just want to hang out with the Lord? You could do it for two days. You didn't have to be limited to one day. And the other reason why they would be able to do it more than one day if it was making a vow or a commitment, a commitment to God is usually followed with prayer to seek God. And people that came to simply spend time with God would be able to feast the next day too, because it's not like God gets tired of your company. So the idea was just take your time, pray, seek the Lord with this commitment you're making. Or if you're just coming to hang out, they said, the Lord loves for you to be here. So hang out. Now, why the third day could they not do it? Well, because there's work to be done. There was work to be done. It's not like you just hire somebody else to do it. And while the best place for me to be is sitting at Jesus' feet, we can't stay there all the time, can we? In John chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says there about us as his sheep. It doesn't say that we stay right there in the pasture, but it says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. As we work unto the Lord, the Lord, he feeds us there as well. That was the mistake Peter made in the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what happened? Peter said, Lord, this is awesome. We got Elijah and we got Moses and and you're here and you're glorified. Let's build a tent for everybody and just stay here forever. Let's make this the capital of your kingdom and start now. And what did God do? It says, as Peter's talking, the Lord said, (laughs) not the plan. There's demon possessed people in the valley that need my help. Jesus had told Martha that Mary chose the better part, but later on we see Mary serving with Martha too, don't we? It's good to sit at his feet. We need to sit at his feet. We need to linger at his feet, but there's work to be done as well. It mentions here as we continue to read, but the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted. It will not be well-pleasing to God. Neither shall it be imputed to him. It's not going to count anything for God that offers it. Instead, it shall be an abomination, a foul thing or that which stinks. Remember, the offering is a sweet savor to God. If you do this, he says, I want to be cold in my nose. 
and the soul that eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Laziness has no place in the life of a believer. Look at 2 Thessalonians with me, chapter 3, verse 6. Paul the Apostle says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing. For we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. And it wasn't because we have not power or authority to do that, but we did it to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work, and they eat their own bread. But you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And yet, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Laziness has no place in the life of a believer. We should be hard workers. We should be known for our good work ethic. Verse 19, back in Leviticus chapter 7. And the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burnt with fire. And as for the flesh, all that be clean shall eat thereof. We'll learn more about the laws of ceremonial cleanliness later in Leviticus. But here it says if somehow that meat comes into contact with something unclean, you burn it, you don't eat it. And then the people that can participate in the feast, it says if they're clean they can eat it. While the consequences of coming in contact with something unclean meant you'd have to fix that, anyone in that condition was barred from the feast. If you were unclean, we'll get to later in Leviticus how you fix that. But it meant you couldn't participate in the feast. But if you tried to, verse 20, but the soul that eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that pertain unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, it says, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing, as the uncleanness of man or any unclean beast or any abominable unclean thing, and then eat the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which pertains unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. There's debate on whether the word cut off here means excommunication or the death penalty. Either way, that's harsh though. If you're cast outside of the nation or you die, either way, it's bad. And you might be saying, why is there such a hard penalty? Well, remember that everything about Israeli worship painted a picture of God's throne in heaven, right? And there's nothing even remotely tainted by sin that enters there or ever will. Revelation chapter 21, it talks about that day when the Lord returns and he sets up the new heaven and new earth. It says that there there will be no more mourning and no more tears and nothing unclean will go in or out of his presence. God's clarity on this topic meant that if someone came to a feast unclean, it was in defiance of this rule, which meant rebellion toward God of the highest degree, which is why there's such a stiff penalty. Now, verse 22, it mentions here there's a prohibition against some things about the peace offering. Verse 22 says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speaking unto the children of Israel, saying, You shall eat no manner of fat, of ox, or of sheep, or of goat. And the fat of the beast that dies of itself, it just dies of natural causes, you didn't kill it for food. And the fat of that which is torn with beasts, it gets killed by another animal, you can use it for any other use. You might say, what other use would fat have? It was actually used for fuel. They use it to burn fire or other things. He says, you can do that, but you shall in no wise eat of it. For whosoever eats the fat of the beast, bless you, it says, of which men offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, even the soul that eats of it shall be cut off from his people. Now, there's debate among Bible students as to whether God meant that they could never eat the fat of any animal or if it was just the animals that are brought here because verses 23 and 25 seem to say something different. The rabbis interpreted it to mean that 
you could not eat the certain types of fat that were listed here. You could eat muscle fat or skin fat, no problem. In fact, kosher butchers today, they still remove all the other parts in Leviticus. All Any of that fat is removed from your meat. So if something's kosher, you don't get any of that stuff, but it might have muscle fat or skin fat because they consider that to be the case. I have no clue. It doesn't concern us because Jesus said it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him, but that which comes out. So these rules don't apply to us on what we can eat. Verse 26, moreover, you shall eat no manner of blood. No, whether it be of fowl or of beast in any of your dwellings. Whatsoever soul it be that eats any manner of blood, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. So no blood either no drinking blood. And the reason God reminds about not eating the fat or drinking the blood here is because the penalty is stiff. It's the same as if you were to eat it unclean, you're cut off. So the Lord says, don't do it. Now verse 28, here we get to the priest portion for the priest offering. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel saying, he that offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings unto the Lord shall bring his oblation, his offering unto the Lord of the sacrifices of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the offerings of the Lord made by fire. The fat with the breast, it shall he bring that the breast may be waved for a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron's and his sons. And the right shoulder shall you give unto the priest for a heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron that offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat, he shall have the right shoulder for his part. For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel. I've taken it from the children of Israel from off the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And I've given them unto Aaron, the priest unto his sons by a statute forever amongst the children of Israel. This is the portion of the anointing of Aaron and of the anointing of his sons out of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And the day when he presents them to minister unto the Lord in the priest's office, which the Lord commanded to be given them of the children of Israel in the day that he anointed them, the priests, by a statute forever throughout their generations. We knew everything else about the priest's offering so far, but this is new. So as the meat was butchered, he would give the fat to the priest so he could burn it on the altar. And then he would take the breast meat, which was also one of the most savory parts of the animal, a very fatty meat. And he would bring that then to the priest as well. But instead of burning the breast meat on the altar, the priest would actually take that piece of meat, kind of gross. He'd take the piece of meat from the animal and the priest would put his hands underneath the hands of the person offering it. And then they would wave it back and forth in the direction of the altar. And the idea, there was symbolism there. The symbolism was this. They were waving it to the altar to show that everyone in this transaction recognized every bit of the meat actually belongs to the Lord. So in a sense, as they're waving it, they're giving it back to him. But then the idea is the Lord says, but I'm giving it to the priests. And so the idea of they're waving it back and forth is the idea of giving it to God, but God's giving it now to Aaron. So it's not you cutting a deal with the priest, be like, hey, Aaron, Aaron, my wife's really on my case. Can you just fix everything and absolve me right now? And you bring a nice piece of fatty meat for him. And he goes, sure, bud, you know, there's nothing part of that. The idea is it was given to the Lord and then the Lord gives it back to Aaron and his family. So therefore, no, there's no collusion going on there or favoritism being shown. Also, he would not only get that part, but he would get the right shoulder. That's the meaty part of the hind leg, the back leg of the animal, the thigh or the upper leg region. So you got a big drumstick. That would also go to Aaron and his family as a heave offering, a special gift or contribution. And this would be their portion of the peace offerings. And this would be where he would take care of his family. This would be the food that he would feed his family with. 
How does this point to Jesus? Well, the fact that they would bring bread in addition to the meat to hang out and fellowship together, it shows us that God wants a relationship with us as individuals too. That he wants us to invest in our relationship with him. The time required to bake all that stuff required time and effort. And and our relationship with God does require time and effort. And when the priest would assist the worshiper, it's interesting, the time wasn't between the priest and God, it was between the offer and God. It wasn't between the offer and the priest, it was between the offer and God. And so it is with us. We need to be taught God's word, but you and I need to be studying it for ourselves as well. You know, the idea that no unclean person could participate in this feast. The Bible is very clear that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life can enter God's presence and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. No one who comes in their own righteousness can be received. I don't have time today, but there's that parable in Matthew where some of the guests came and they had their own clothes on. And what did the master say? Cast them out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. One last thought. Makes it very clear that no fat is to ever be eaten by anybody but the Lord. And God should always get my best. I should never reserve the best for myself. So in conclusion, verse 37, this is the law of the burnt offerings, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, the ones for the priests, and of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And so that concludes all of our teaching on the offerings only we stand and pray. Oh Lord, we go through this and, and we think, man, what a attention to detail that you have here. But again, as it was with the tabernacle, Lord, you wanted everything to be done just so because everything painted a picture, Lord. It pointed forward to you and what you've done for us as our great high priest. And tonight, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for bearing our reproach and going outside the camp, Lord, when you should have been hailed as King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, you who could have called a legion of angels to defend you and set up your kingdom, you didn't. But rather, you laid your life down for us willingly. And for that, we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our great high priest. Thank you for the beautiful pictures we see of your work here. But Lord, you've also called us to be priests and so we surrender our lives to you. We want to be faithful priests unto you. We want to be faithful ambassadors for you. So Lord, will you fill us with your spirit that we might be able to do that, that we would be a good witness in our workplace this week, that we would serve our our spouses and our families and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we need you. Thank you that you empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. All of the offerings and sacrifices that are listed in Leviticus point to Jesus' offering of a sinless life and of his perfect sacrifice. His sacrifice was made for us that we might be declared right before God and to one day stand in his presence to see him face to face. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.